wanted this to be a summer of progress so that people can see that this is not just about resisting. If and when the Democrats regain power, what are we going to do with it? Is it going to be more of the same or are we going to move this nation forward in a way that lifts all boats? U.S.-backed forces involved in liberating Mosul engaged in repeated violations of humanitarian law, some of which may amount to war crimes. These caused the deaths of at least 3,700 civilians. It's a very serious situation in Latin America, and let us be in strict solidarity with the Maduro regime as it tries to repel this imperialist offensive. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Averam, and on today's show, the political organization Our Revolution, founded by Senator Bernie Sanders, launched its Summer of Progress campaign this week with a rally on Capitol Hill and a push for eight pieces of legislation called the People's Platform. We'll talk to the new president of Our Revolution, former Ohio State Senator Nina Turner, about it all. Also, it's the fourth Friday, and media critic Janine Jackson is in the house to help us break it all down in our monthly extended conversation on culture and media. All that is coming up later in the show, but first, other news making headlines here in D.C. this week. Transgender activists gathered outside the White House on Wednesday and Thursday following Donald Trump's announcement on Twitter that he would ban transgender people from serving in the military. Pentagon officials said that they were caught by surprise by the announcement and that, for now, there will be no change in policy. Activists debunked Trump's stated reason for the ban, the cost of hormone treatments, pointing out that the military spends 10 times as much, $84 million, on treating erectile dysfunction with drugs like Viagra. One organizer at Wednesday's rally said that even though no policy change has occurred, Trump's tweet still has an impact. Even if there's not a policy being put into place, this still really affects people on a very deep level and makes people think that they have the right to follow those words and turn them into actions like bullying and hatred and discrimination. Former military analyst and whistleblower Chelsea Manning joined one of the protests Thursday and tweeted a photo of herself outside the White House. Discussion is also raging on social media within the trans community about participation in the U.S. military and imperialist war around the world. This week, activists also targeted members of Congress, including Maryland Senator Ben Cardin, who introduced a bill in the Senate that could make it a felony for any American to support the boycott, divestment, sanctions movement, 
which is pressuring Israel to end its genocidal campaign against the Palestinian people. In downtown Baltimore, activists including Kevin Zeese of Popular Resistance rallied outside the high-rise offices of Carton, saying that Carton's bill, S-720, is an attempt to squelch free speech and dissent, pointing out that boycotts have been a consistent tool used by social justice movements to achieve power. Senator Carton, stop showing free speech! Senator Senator Carton, stop showing free speech! Viva, viva Palestina! Viva, viva Palestina! Viva, viva Palestina! Viva, viva Palestina! Why is Senator Carton doing this? Why is Senator Carton doing this? Because BDS is working. Because BDS is working. Because BDS is winning. Because BDS is winning. Because more people refuse. Because more people refuse. To buy Israeli products. To buy Israeli products. Why do people refuse? Why do people refuse? Because more people know. Because more people know. That Israel is committing war crimes every day. Israel is treating Gaza like an outdoor prison camp. Israel is treating Gaza like an outdoor prison camp. Rather than being a senator for Maryland, Senator Carter is being a senator for Israel. Protesters also rallied in Gaithersburg, Maryland, outside the offices of Representative John Delaney, Democrat of Maryland, a co-sponsor of the anti-BDS bill. Now, numerous demonstrations for quality health care continued on Capitol Hill this week, including a vigil of the disabled in wheelchairs outside a Senate office building. While the Senate did get enough votes to proceed to debate health care, it did not get enough votes for a straight repeal of the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. Dr. Margaret Flowers, a longtime activist for the single-payer system of Medicare for All, reminded protesters gathered on Wednesday that the health care debate is occurring as Medicare is more than a half century old. Medicare's birthday is coming up. It's coming Sunday, July 30th. It'll be the 52nd anniversary of Medicare and Medicaid. And a couple of interesting things about that. One is that Medicare is not often recognized But it was a tool in 1965 to desegregate our hospitals. There have been efforts leading up to that to try to desegregate, and there was no enforcement mechanism. And in six months, they desegregated 6,000 hospitals. And you understand the sense of what that means. So many people died because they showed up to a hospital that either was a white-only hospital or didn't have enough beds and they died en route because they were turned away from care. This was happening in the, even into the 1960s. So that's a very significant event. And Medicare was meant to be a universal system. The intention when they passed it was to make it universal. There is still debate in the Senate over whether just parts of the ACA can be repealed. Well, now to turn our attention toward what's happening internationally, I'm joined by on-the-ground contributor Professor Gerald Horn, author and activist. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thank you for inviting me. Well, let's start with Russia and China. 
This week, the House and Senate passed new sanctions against Russia, as well as against Iran, North Korea, and Venezuela. And at the same time, there were some activities happening, you know, between Russia and China. Let's talk about that first. Well, about to unfold is a striking, remarkable development. I'm speaking of the naval maneuvers conducted by the Russian military and the Chinese military in the Baltic Sea within hailing distance of the leader of the European Union, speaking of Germany. Obviously, this is an attempt by Moscow and Beijing to tell Washington and NATO that they are united and are not to be pushed around. At the same time, we see NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, spearheaded by the United States, creeping ever closer to the borders of Russia, unfolding as we speak, or the largest military maneuver since the end of World War II taking place in Romania, a former Moscow ally, now presumed antagonist, with crack troops from Fort Carson, Colorado, at the tip of the spear. Now, if that is insufficient to digest, keep in mind that just concluded in the Indian Ocean are military maneuvers that involve the navies of the United States, Japan, and India targeting China. Now, you may find this striking in light of the fact that China and India are supposedly allies in the BRICS, the Brazil, Russia, India, China uh, alliance, but they have had conflicts going back to a sharp war that took place in 1962. I think it would be fortunate if our listening audience were to pay ever closer attention to these military maneuvers because oftentimes military maneuvers are just a predicate and a prelude to war, which is something too ghastly to contemplate. At the same time this week, there were warning shots fired from a U.S. vessel toward an Iranian vessel. And I think this is somewhere either near or in Iranian waters. I'm not really sure uh, why we're there and why we're policing there. It seems very provocative. But are these maneuvers near Iran connected to the, uh, the other maneuvers you just discussed? I'm afraid so. Keep in mind that Beijing is embarking on its one belt, one road policy that seeks to link through sea lanes and railroad tracks and other means a mode of transporting goods from China to Western Europe. And already there are trains that can rumble from China to Spain or even from China to England. In the One Road, One Belt initiative, Iran is seen as a global crossroads. And in that regard, Iran has a formal affiliation with the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which is the response by Beijing and Moscow to NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Therefore, this tiff that took place between the Iranians and the United States should be seen in that context. Also, while we're looking beyond our borders, Ray McGovern and Bill Binney had a, quite an interesting report about the nature of the hack on the DNC. I find this report remarkable. As you know, Ray McGovern and Bill Binney, uh, to put it prosaically, are spies who came in from the coal. That is to say, they have had at least during their working lives, long-time, long-term careers with U.S. intelligence agencies, but now they're retired 
and are producing some of the most progressive work that we can imagine on U.S. intelligence sources. As if I'm not mistaken, I believe Ray McGovern has been a guest on, on the ground. Yes, yes. What's striking about this report is it suggests that the summer 2016 alleged hacking of the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, and Hillary Clinton campaign leader John Podesta was not necessarily conducted either by a Moscow source or even a WikiLeaks source, but according to this report, that in some ways it was a false flag operation that could then be blamed on Russia and on WikiLeaks to sort of stir up this controversy that's still ongoing that has led, as we've just talked about, to enhanced and increased sanctions against Moscow, which has been a shot in the arm for the military-industrial complex. I recommend this report to your listeners, and I believe it can be found online. Well, I definitely will look at it further, but I'm just wondering, I think a lot of people listening to this uh, for the first time will say some of those those revelations from the DNC were so damaging you know wh- why would they why would anyone damage themselves like that well it depends on what you mean by damaging i mean certainly i think that the headline coming out of these email releases was the collaboration between DNC leaders and the Hillary Rodham Clinton campaign against Bernie Sanders. Presumably, I assume it was felt that those revelations would not stop the Clinton campaign from prevailing. Perhaps they game planned it out and felt that it would only lead to the resignation of DNC chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who was not a favorite of the White House and I think not a favorite of Senator Clinton as well. And so in some ways, uh, it's hard to see how they were actually harmed. That is to say, the Clinton campaign, by the release of these emails, it certainly didn't push Bernie Sanders over the finish line. Hmm. Okay. And finally, there's a big vote coming up this Sunday in Venezuela. And I know that many people are watching There's so much happening in Venezuela. What's your take on what's going on there? Well, the Maduro regime of Caracas is trying to alter the constitutional, legal, administrative, and political structure of this beleaguered country, which has been under severe pressure, not only internally from anti-Maduro forces, but also externally from the Trump regime, which has said that if this vote is carried forward on Sunday, there will be more sanctions slapped on Venezuela, which is obviously a challenge to the sovereignty of Venezuela. In other words, uh, Washington is saying to Venezuela, you should dance to Donald Trump's tune, that Donald Trump has a say in Venezuelan internal affairs, which obviously is inadmissible and must be rejected by all Venezuelan patriots. At the same time, the situation in, in Venezuela is rather dire, Uh, There are reports about difficulty in obtaining basic necessities. There are reports about a currency collapse. And this comes in the context of an all-out offensive against many of the former left-wing regimes in Latin America. We know that Dilma Rousseff, the former leader of Brazil, was forced out of office. Her mentor, uh, Lula da Silva, has just been convicted, which is going to hamper his ability to return to the presidency within months, although he still plans to run. We also know that in Argentina, Cristina Fernandez, uh, the former ally of 
Hugo Chavez of Venezuela and Lula of Brazil uh, is under investigation. So it's a very serious situation in Latin America. And let us be in strict solidarity with the Maduro regime as it tries to repel this imperialist offensive. Well, we certainly keep in touch with our Venezuela comrades here in D.C. and we'll, we'll continue to do that. And we'll definitely keep an eye on all these other issues as well. I've been speaking with professor, historian, and author Gerald Horn, frequent contributor to this show and across the Pacifica Network. Thank you, Gerald. Thank you. Children of the world, are you ready? Are you happy? Are you happy? Are you happy? Tell me why. Colder than July, the milkman don't stop by. To bring my high fruit, just more silver. Brother, instead of daddy, bring me pip in the bag, fool it in. just tuning in this is on the ground on the ground show.org voices of resistance from the nation's capital i'm esther Ivarum. and this week the political organization our revolution founded by senator bernie sanders launched its summer of progress campaign with a rally on capitol hill and a push for eight pieces of legislation called the people's platform before the rally we spoke to the new president of our revolution former ohio state senator nina turner So tell me about the kickoff for the Summer of Progress and what that represents for your vision for our revolution. It is the formal kickoff of our Summer for Progress and Summer for Progress in the sense that we're dealing with the Congress and their summer recess and not necessarily summer as we begin it as average everyday citizens uh, based on the seasons. But it really is to push and demand that House Democrats in particular, we took eight bills that are in the House, the House of Representatives right now that reflect our core values. So that's Medicare for all, college for all, workers' rights, you know, in terms of raising the minimum wage. And you and your listeners, I'm sure, in watching Senator Sanders all throughout his campaign, he talked about the, the enormous burden that our young people and other people, for that matter, who have to attend college, what they face in just trying to get through college. And we should make an investment in that. And so instead of, I I like to tell people, instead of thinking about the K through 12 model, let's think about pre-K to 16 and as a nation make that investment in our young people because that's what they got to compete with other young people all over the world. A 21st century economy demands highly skilled workforce. And in women's rights, you know, making sure that women have access to uh, abortion, for example. Yes, I did say the A word, which is a medical procedure. That's important. Voting rights, you know, automatic voter registration, criminal justice, tax on Wall Street, environment, you name it. So the summer for progress is really just to remind Democrats of what they said they stood for. Uh, Some of it's taken from 
the themes that were in the Democratic platform that were voted on uh, about a year ago last year and saying to them, sign on to these bills and show the American people where you stand. So, of course, people are going to look at these bills, which are very progressive, but then they look at the makeup of Congress in terms of the House and Senate, and they say, oh, this has no chance of passing. So are these more more statements, or do you think that these actually have a chance of any type of progress in this Congress? You know, we got to fight no matter what. we got to put mm-hmm. forth the effort. I mean, right. really, it is to say, and, and, it, and you know what? You're right about the makeup of the Congress, but we need Democrats every single Democrat to declare where they stand. And right. so we have some very real bills. These are not bills in our imagination. They're not they're right there. Sign on to these bills and make a declaration to this country, to the people of this country, where we stand as a party in terms of a value proposition, not just having a D behind your name and where the other side stands. And let's give people something to vote for. You know, we have elections this year. We know we have the midterms next year where voters are going to be going out to determine who should control the Congress. Or right right now, the Republicans control both chambers of the Congress. I firmly believe that in order for Democrats to start winning again, because Esther, as you know, we lost almost 1,100 seats within a 10-year period, and that's a combination of congressional seats, but also, you know, in state legislatures, governor's mansions, you name it, the whole gambit. But we're going to have to let folks know where we stand and who we stand for to motivate them to come out to vote, to earn their vote during the midterm election. And that's what this partly is about as well. So the push for this Medicare for All is happening at the time when they're having this current health care debate on Capitol Hill. And you know, there are a lot of progressives who really dislike the corporate control of health care that's a part of Obamacare. So can you address those people and talk about how we get from where we are right now to Medicare for All? Well, we certainly don't get there by, you know, by the way the Republicans want to do it, which is to totally dismantle, you know, repeal and replace was their battle cry. It's been their battle cry for seven years. You would just think, you know, and and I want your listeners to think if you were given an assignment and it took you seven years. To complete it. You know, Republicans have had more than enough time to come up with something that was better, and I put that in air quotes, than the Affordable Care Act that would help the American people. But they never did that. Yes, Democrats understand very clearly, and we should have done it a long time ago, I must add, that the Affordable Care Act needs to be fixed, that there's some unintended consequences within that. You know, premiums are too high, whether people can get access. We know that insurance companies are pulling out of certain areas in this country, leaving people more vulnerable. There are about 28 million people right now, even with the Affordable Care Act, who don't have access to health care. So yes, the Affordable Care Act has some problems, but you don't fix that problem by exacerbating them. And we know that if the Senate, I think the CBO in their report identified that if the Senate just repeals, they're going to throw like 33 million people. So that's 33 million additional people to go along with the 28. That is both immoral and is cruel, especially since members of Congress, House and Senate, when I say that, have some of the best best health care plans in the country funded by taxpayers. So why can't we as a nation get our leaders on both sides of the aisle to say, to declare, and then to work towards uh, Medicare for all in this country that does not leave anybody behind. They enjoy it, Esther. So why can't the people in this country enjoy it? It's about an investment. It's about having the public will to do so. 
So is the idea that using the existing framework, we can just expand the Medicare portion of that to cover everyone? Well, we're going to have to change the entire program, but you don't do it by destroying the Affordable Care Act. It's, I want to give an example of we know that uh, our seniors have Medicare right now, and that program is working very well. We can take that and expand that model of what works in this country right now. You're not going to find very many seniors who are not pleased with the Medicare program that they have. From all political and all walks of life, for the most part, let's take that and build on that. Right. Now, I'm looking at the various legislation. I guess there are eight bills that are part of the the People's Platform. You mentioned before health care, education, workers' rights, women's rights, voting rights, environmental justice, criminal justice, and immigration rights, and tax on Wall Street. But one of the things I don't see on there, the, the military spending. You know, lots of progressives feel that we can't really make progress on any of these fronts without taking back our money from a bloated military. And I also know that during the campaign, that was one of the criticisms of Senator Sanders, that he didn't take an aggressive anti-war stance. No doubt that the spending on the military is not just this administration, it's been administrations in the past that as a nation, and the senator did talk about on the campaign trail, I mean, he was very focused on domestic issues, but he did talk about the fact that we spend more money than most industrialized nations in the world on, on the military. And to your point, that if we could use that same money, I mean, we, we have the number one military in the, in the world you know, if we can take some of that money, and even the Trump, Trump administration wants to give even more to that, but just imagine if we can take more of that money and invest it domestically, what it will look like. So I will say to your listeners that different people focus on different aspects, and that makes the whole. So where Senator, he did talk about that, you know, briefly, but his major platform issue, as everybody knows, has been this Medicare for all. It has been, you know, making investments in our in our education system, higher education, so that young people are not saddled with debt. I think the, the debt right now for that generation is up into the trillions of dollars right now. I certainly agree with your premise, Esther, that we really do need to take some of that fund, keep our military strong, but to take some of that investment and put it domestically. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. Yeah, and people yeah. have been calling for that. You're absolutely right. Okay, so what would you like to uh, see come out of this week or or in the coming weeks? Yeah, I want to see people energized, engaged, Esther. I mean, part of what we do here at Our Revolution is to make sure that the grassroots, the people who really push leaders to make the change, that they are powerful. So I want people to be galvanized. I want Democrats to understand that if we don't do it, who else will do it in terms of being the party that not just in words but also in deed, in deeds, stand up for the people and push policies that will lift the people, you know, help folks in, in this country. And so I, I want Democrats to know that they're the ones. they got to do it. And that it is important for them to hear from the grassroots about what folks want to see happen in this country. That the power that any elected official holds, whether they're in Congress or whether they're in a state legislature or whether they're a city council person or a mayor or a township trustee or school board, but that power, when people vote us into office, they are entrusting us with their power to do their will and to do their will in such a way that we are lifting people and giving them deeper 
opportunities. And that is really what the Summer of Progress is fundamentally about, is reminding the Democrats, you said all of these things would be good for this country, progressive, most progressive platform in the history of the Democratic Party. Okay, let's put some action behind it. And that are, that's partially these bills. This is not the only thing. You know, we also have concerns about the water crisis in Flint, for example. You know, there's no bill to point towards that other than the fact that we need to repair our infrastructure in this country, not just for individuals, but also for companies and businesses. Our infrastructure is horrible. And when people who have flown all over this world can compare our airports to the airports of other folks, high-speed rail, we're still behind our sisters and brothers in China. It makes no sense. We are the United States of America, but we need to make those investments. And for God's sake, everybody in this country is entitled to clean water. That's non-negotiable. And I've talked to people, not just in Flint, but I've also had a chance to talk to our sisters and brothers in some of the rural parts of this country, like West Virginia, who are suffering under the same fate as our sisters and brothers in Flint. It's unacceptable. Yeah, we were just in a conversation with Reverend Edward Pinckney out of Benton Harbor, Michigan. And, you know, water came up as an issue in that conversation also. But I wanted to ask you, because you're talking about the Democratic Party, and it's clear that our revolution is still holding Democrats' feet to the fire. There have been a lot of calls for Bernie Sanders to look outside the two-party system, which he seems to have rejected so far. But I'm wondering about your perspectives on what seems to be kind of two separate tracks within the Democratic Party right now. Because you have our revolution, you have have progressives uh, pushing the party to live up to this platform that was adopted, but it's it also seems like since the election that the, the what I call the corporate Democrats really haven't learned anything. I'm still seeing candidates put forward, like in Georgia, this John Ossoff, who was had the same kind of platform as Hillary Clinton. They seem to be, I saw a recent statement that they still believe that the secret to winning are the white swing voters. I keep seeing some of the same behavior that led to last year's loss. So what do you see right now as that internal struggle? And what is the role that our revolution has to play? Well, you know, God, you packed so much into that. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. It's a beautiful thing. You got my wheels turning. You know, Brother Frederick Douglass put it this way. He said, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never has. And it never will. And that demand is bubbling up since, you know, starting in 2016, but I would argue that it was there all the time, but it just kind of crescendoed in 2016, that people are really over it. They are in the spirit of Fannie Lou Hamer. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And they feel as though the political class has let them down on both sides of the aisle. So you have to write, or Brother Einstein defined it this way, insanity is continuing to do the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. To your point about the establishment Democrats who just think, you know, that they can kind of walk the middle line on these issues. You cannot do that and win because what the Democratic Party needs to show people is that we are different and this is how we are different and not just in words but in deeds. So I want to give you a, an example because you just, California, and I just, just cannot let California go. I mean, you have Democrats who control the governor's mansion, they control the Senate, and they control the House of Representatives. You have the Senate that passed the Healthy California Act, which is a version of Medicare for All, but just for California. It goes to the House, and it's held up by the leader of the House, the Speaker of the House, Rendon, Representative Rendon. Now, right. on God's green earth, 
why? Why are you doing that? And so what is the difference between him holding up something that would be of lower cost overall that would help Californians and that speaks to what we say we value as, as Democrats? What's the difference between that and what the Republicans are doing in the Congress? At some point, Democrats are going to have to answer for hypocrisy. What, what is the reason that he gave? He said that there was no funding mechanism, but I'm here to tell your listeners, Esther, that when you control the power, you can you can find a funding mechanism. If it's a flawed bill, and lots of times when bills go through the process, there are unintended consequences. That's why bills go through a process. You can fix it. So people mm-hmm. in power can fix anything that they want to. It's just a flat-out excuse. So I'm going to say I support these things, but then in actuality, I'm not going to act on it even though I have the power. And so that is what this is about. I I don't understand why some Democrats are still running that way when it is very clear through polling, through both empirical and anecdotal data where the American people are. I mean, just even taking Medicare for all, the majority of the American people want to see a single-payer type system, the majority, and that is across political ideology, across. You have Senator Bernie Sanders, who is the most popular active politician in the United States of America across the board, African-American, 73%. Our Hispanic sisters and brothers, 68%. Women, almost 60%. percent hmm so why aren't we moving? And that's the key. So our revolution, we engage the grassroots, we empower the grassroots, we remind the grassroots that really the power is in their hands, and we travel all over this country to do it. So we have, we have affiliates in 49 of the 50 states. We have over 300, almost 400 affiliates now. We're approaching 400. And we're also even international. We have seven affiliates in other parts of the world. When, when you look at the buildup of frustration that you talked about earlier, I mean, a lot of that frustration, as you mentioned, is also with the Democratic Party. I guess I want to know, is, is it possible that I, our revolution will ever support a candidate on the local level, state level, national level, who's not running as a Democrat, but who embraces those same policies? I'm so glad you asked that, Esther. We have endorsed a local candidate in Philly, Green Party. This is how our endorsement process works. It's empowered by the grassroots. So those affiliates that I named, they any candidate running in an area where we have an affiliate, our revolution organization, has to go to that organization to be nominated up to the national. So that means they are empowered to determine who they want to see get the endorsement. Period. Okay. And we've had affiliates as to push up Green Party candidates, independent candidates. So we're not basing endorsement is not based on whether or not somebody is a Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Green Party, no party. The endorsement process is based on whether or not they agree with, support, and will work towards a progressive agenda that will get okay. the change that we're looking for in this country. So no, no ma'am. All right. So uh, any final thoughts that on anything we haven't discussed? Yeah, I want people to go to our revolution, you know, to our website. I want them to click on Summer for Progress to get involved, to be engaged, to learn about these issues. If they don't have an affiliate in their area, please uh, sign on ourrevolution.com. Talk to us. We'll send organizers out there to help. Just that 
people have the power. And I know things may seem daunting right now. It's not just seeing they are. I mean, wages have not increased for the average worker in this country, you know, keeping up with inflation since 1980. People are suffering. They are hurting. They are disappointed. But I do believe that there's promise in the problem. In our revolution, we are really trying to do our part to empower and embolden and to get the people uh, where they want to be by grassroots organizing, and we support issues, we support candidates, we push, and we wanted this to be a summer of progress, Esther, so that people can see that this is not just about resisting. If and when the Democrats regain power, what are we going to do with it? Is it going to be more of the same, or are we going to move this nation forward in a way that lifts all boats. And when I say all, I mean absolutely all. So we are working towards that goal. So join us. I want your listeners to join us for the Summer of Progress. All right. Well, I've been speaking with Nina Turner, former Ohio State Senator, now President of Our Revolution. Thank you, Nina. Thank you, Esther. And thanks to all of your listeners. There's songs to make you smile. There's songs to make you sad. With a happy song to sing, it never seems as bad To me came this melody, so I've tried to put in words how I feel Tomorrow will be for you and me From accusations and counter-accusations of fake news to the real erasure of much of the planet from the news, media plays an outsized role in how we experience the world. And so I look forward to my fourth Friday extended conversation on culture and media with Janine Jackson, host of the nationally syndicated show Counterspin, who is joining me on the line from New York. Welcome back to the show, Janine. Hey there, Esther. Well... Janine, the media cycle never stops, and there is so much to choose from, for sure. But what is the July media news from Counterspin? Well, we did a lot of things in July. Of course, there is a lot going on. One of the bigger stories, of course, was the expulsion of ISIS from Mosul in Iraq. And we heard a lot about this and how we U.S.-led forces have driven ISIS out. And of course, ISIS is now a kind of brain number. Once you hear that word, it's just, ah, you know, evil, whatever. So whatever's done against them is okay. So we had CBS News, you had a correspondent standing over a pile of rubble saying, you know, this is what it costs to get rid of ISIS. Well, Amnesty International put out a report saying that, in fact, U.S.-backed forces involved in liberating Mosul engaged in repeated violations of humanitarian law, some of which may amount to war crimes, and that these caused the deaths of at least 3,700 civilians. So we wrote that up to say, you know, you're reading these stories about the, the victory of Mosul and how we've cleansed Mosul of ISIS, and yet this story about 
what those coalition forces did in that operation was completely buried, uh, and we did not hear that conversation. Very, very few. Progressive media, yes, but mainstream media didn't want to talk about that angle of things. And that's not surprising, but, you know, as these wars go on and on and on, we have to recognize that we are not hearing the whole story and that when we hear things referred to as victories or liberations, you have to realize that there's a lot going on uh, behind the curtain. And wow. then another, uh, another story that we looked at, and I, I hate to be in the same vein, but I had a wonderful conversation with Maurice Carney from Friends of the Congo, and, you know, there's been... I, I would say that the horrific conditions in Gaza have been you know, undercovered in media, but Congo is almost entirely off the page. And there Absolutely. you have a story where the president, Kabila, is refusing to step down. He was supposed to step down in last December, and he's refusing. And so there's a lot of fighting going on between his forces and opposition forces. And it's you know, tens of thousands of people internally displaced, all kinds of outrageous violence to children, to families. It's just horrific. And the note that I want to bring out here is what's missing in this story is the U.S. role. We have Nikki Haley, our U.N. person, saying, you know, Kabila really has to step down. We really need there to be a democratic transfer of power in Congo. Well, yeah, as Maurice Carney pointed out, it's true. There hasn't been a peaceful transfer of power in Congo since the United States overthrew the first democratically elected leader, Patrice Lumumba, in 1960. And ever since then, no one's ever been able to become leader of Congo without U.S. backing and U.S. support. So to hear us now saying, oh, we, we, we want them to have just a democratic transfer of power and this violence is really abhorrent to us is... Um, misleading in the extreme. And media have allowed, I think, the U.S. government to get away with uh, hiding its, its role in that situation. And then finally, Esther, I, I did want to note, you know, health care, of course, is a front burner issue. And in the midst of all of that, we had this story about John McCain, you know, and, and his cancer. And there was kind of some arguing about, is it okay to mention that John McCain, with his cancer, is going to have access to incredibly much better health care he, than he is trying to allow the rest of the American people to have. And people, oh, no, that's, that's off color. You can't say anything like that. And I was happy to see conversation come around to say, no, absolutely, that is something we have to talk about. It's, it's ridiculous right. to say that we have, you know, there's such a haze of, of good feeling and, and kindness that, that it's irrelevant to mention that this difficult situation that he and his family are going through, that millions of American families are facing a similar situation or worse and have and the idea of taking health care from them at just that time. I mean, if you don't connect those two things, I think you're, you're missing something very important. So I was happy to see a kind of level of maturity where people said, you know what, it is actually all right to connect the, the personal and the political in this case on an issue that's literally life and death. That's very true. And Maybe the experience with Steve Scalise and that shooting had given the media just some experience in trying to either connect or not connect those issues and what the boundaries and what the role would be, what their role would be. 
Exactly. Well, and you know, it's it is something to navigate. It is. It, it's. I'm not saying it's a. It's always easy, but I think in the, in this case where you know he is enjoying a different level of healthcare on an order of magnitude than he is trying to allow the rest of the country to have. I think you can't not say that. I think that. Yeah, and and I think actually this week when he came back in such a dramatic fashion and cast a vote, there were actually protesters out there. I don't want to know if the word is heckling is the right word, but they were actually pointing out that fact in terms of what their chance and what they were trying to say to him and other lawmakers as they were doing this repeal or skinny repeal or whatever they were trying to do, which they couldn't do. Yeah. Right. I mean, good taste. Yeah, sure. Journalists have to exercise judgment. But this is an instance in which I think the connection is absolutely relevant. So I think I mentioned um, before we started our, our segment that there's so many things to choose from in terms of things that I look at in the media that really burn me up. This continuing coverage and non-coverage of the U.S. role in wars and conflicts around the world, really irked by how Venezuela is, every crisis in Venezuela is magnified because it's in the U.S. interest to do that, yet there's no comparative coverage of what what's happening in Gaza, just the I just, it's genocide, basically. I don't really know why we can't even say that in media. You know, there's so many things we can't say. Got Yemen, you know, I think up to 400,000 cases of cholera now. And so when I see the disproportionate coverage and, and how, uh, you know, Maduro is uh, vilified and his government is under attack, yet Saudi Arabia is not attacked for its role in Yemen. Israel is not attacked for its role in Gaza. I just, you know, I have to throw my hands up and say thank God for independent media and and whatever whatever way we can get our little voice out fine. Absolutely. And also locally here in DC, Jim Vance, uh, a longtime news anchor here died and it was tremendous impact on the community. He was one of those black reporters hired in the aftermath of the riots that happened in the 60s and when media first tried to diversify. So for many people, he's a symbol of the black power movement of that time and its ability to kind of change the media landscape, even if it turned out to be in a superficial way that made people more comfortable just watching their TV at night and seeing someone who often had an opportunity to comment and to give voice to a community that was not heard. Just like you had in I, I'm from Maryland, you know, in okay. the area, and I knew Jim, saw Jim Vance on TV with that sort of twinkle in his eye for many, many years. And you're right, it is a reflection of this, the, the Kerner Commission, which said media and media's racism and segregation have a lot to do with the unrest in this country. Media have something to answer for. The Kerner Commission was actually pretty hardcore if you go back and look at it. You know, it says very, very serious things about media's responsibility in counteracting the U.S.'s racist institutions and policies. And part of that was just getting more people of color into newsrooms. And yeah, when you saw Jim Vance, that's partly what you were seeing, you know, was a conscious decision being made to have folks like us in those positions where they could be seen, you know, and he was a reporter, you know, he did make decisions, but also having folks on screen, just as you say, 
so that you can say, I can do that too. You know, it is, we are in the room, you know, it, it's hard to, now it seems so common, but, you know, years ago it really was not, and someone like Jim Vance really did. I'm sure there are lots of black people who went into journalism because of Jim Vance, put it that way. Um, I, I think he really did have that effect. Yeah. And then finally, to me, these two ideas are connected, but maybe they're not. I've just been increasingly irked by these extreme right-wing trollers online that seem to need to jump onto every progressive thread or campaign that's happening, (laughs) whether it's on YouTube or Facebook or whatever, and insert really vile comments. One comment I saw recently, I, I was watching a live feed from... Uh, I think our revolution, who I uh, spoke to earlier in the show, saying, you know, all Jews should leave the Western world, you know, just really vile stuff. And and I kind of relate that to another thing that's really irking me because people keep talking about fake news and they relate it to Kellyanne Conway's uh, comment about alternative facts right after the inauguration. But. The more I think about it, the more I realize that, you know, we've been dealing with alternative facts in the news world for a long time, but especially since Fox News went on the air. And the danger about Fox News, and it's still there as a big danger, more dangerous, I think, than Breitbart and this alt-right media, because it's the most popular cable network. And, you know, their record on politics, women, race, everything, it's just so pushed even farther to the right now, and that's that's being passed off as real news. Well, for about the first, I, all I can say is trollers gonna troll, Esther. You know, that's what they do. And when you read those, I always say, the first rule of the Internet, don't read the comments, because... <laughs> They really are aimed specifically at doing what they do, which is making you say, that is outrageous. How could someone say something so poisonous? And then their, their job is done. They shocked you. They outraged you. Maybe they upset you. That's all they want to do. It's not, it's not any kind of, I mean, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not even a political commentary at this point. It's just a poison. And I think the goal is to silence people, to scare them off. Because, yeah, you feel creepy. Even after you, you can't unread it. It's in your head now. It's gross, you know. And so maybe you won't go back to that outlet or back to that feed. And then they've really won. So that's the goal, is to scare you off and to silence you from that forum. And so, you know, that's what we have to push back against. Now, I do relate it to the whole alternative facts thing, you know, alternative facts line, because in a sense, the ideas that Fox and O'Reilly would be a great example, although he's not there, that, you know, black people are criminals and that it's, you know, welfare is bad and prison is, is good. And they are a similar kind of poison, you know, they are a similar kind of toxin that if you see hosts saying that and assuming that, and that's on a kind of 24 hour loop, it does seep out into the atmosphere. And so in a way, it is a similar kind of effect. It's a kind of intellectual pollution if you will, that you can resist by turning it off, but that you also have to come back against and fight with with clarity and with better information and with the humanistic and progressive ideas that we believe in. Yeah, and it just occurs to me when I'm walking around that I'm passing by people on the street who believe this stuff. But that goes back to what you're saying. Maybe it makes me think that that's more than it is. 
you know. It's, it's true. And I think also that I, I've always thought that people have a lot of unclaimed space in their brains. You know, I think a lot of people believe the last thing they heard somebody say. And if you tell them something different, they might have a shot at, you know, at believing what you've said. But the folks at Fox are set up to persuade. They are saying... This is the truth. This is the truth. You should not listen to those things that other people say. Only what we say here is the truth. They sort of inoculate themselves. And this comes back to the alternative facts idea. They will say, now, other people are going to tell you that, um, you know, our criminal justice system is racist. But it's not true. And, and, and here's that. So, uh, so they are, in a sense, inoculating you from any other news source that you might come across and saying, no, other folks are going to lie to you, but we're going to tell you the truth. That is very worrisome because that's just straight up anti-intellectual. That's just telling people, don't read more than one source, don't come up with your own ideas. That's just indoctrination. So that's worrisome on its face before you even get to the content of the ideas. So that's, there's a straight line from, from Fox to these trolls online to this video that the NRA put out. I mean, when you watch the NRA with this alt-right commentator who I think is on Fox News. I actually have not seen that NRA video. I've managed to go all this time without actually watching that. That says take up arms, right? It's like really pretty much a call to arms. Uh, yes. And, race, yeah. and it's so incredibly vile that, you know, you can really be taken aback and taken by surprise by like, where did this come from? Where does an organization like the NRA, which is still, regardless of of how you feel about it, it's a powerful organization. It's considered by many to be a mainstream organization. Where does this come from where an organization can put out this kind of video? But if you're aware of Fox News, you see that there's a straight line from Fox News to this type of commentary to me. Well, you, you can certainly imagine that folks will get a taste of a certain kind of worldview in one place and then, and then want more of it, you know. I think different people have different kind of needs in that regard, but there is a sense that, you know, many of the things said on Fox are a cleaned up version, if you will, of, of some of the worst, you know, alt-right craziness. And, you know, so yeah, there's, um, there are gradations, but also similarities i would say yeah well i know this is a very intense conversation (laughs) about very intense things but you know we always try to end our conversations with lighter notes and i don't know if you had some some cultural or media experience that was left you in a more pleasant frame of mind hmm well, you know, I actually only watched Get Out at home last week to see it, you know, in video in my house, and and it just blew me away. Um, I know lots of folks have already seen that movie by now, but I was blown away again at how smart it is and how sad it is and how scary it is and how powerful it is and it just made me think and then I know you know Girl Trip coming out after and I thought boy black people are making movies and doing really really well and covering lots of different issues in those movies and it just made me feel happy you know a lot of things seem like they're moving in the wrong direction but in terms of people of color and culture I think we're seeing some real Landmarks, you know, Ava DuVernay, Selma, you know, I'm just, I feel like I'm seeing, I feel like we're seeing movement, particularly in film, 
that's really positive and inspiring. And so, you know, with me, it's get out and that's old, but it just reminded me of a kind of new a, a change that's happening in terms of black people actually being powerful in the film industry and not just decorative. Well, I suppose that my contribution to this part of the conversation might be a little bit more lowbrow. <laughs> but Game of Thrones, the seventh season premiered not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before. So this Sunday was the second episode of the season. And right after Game of Thrones, there was the season premiere of Ballers, which is this show about sports figures. The Rock is the star and he's a kind of ex-football player who's like a financial planner or whatever hustler right now. And and right after that was the season premiere of Insecure, which is kind of I was this cult favorite. This Issa Rae, she kind of made her name online at first with the show on YouTube. I guess Awkward Black Girl, right? And it's and it's turned into this HBO hit show that everyone talks about. But the thing that I was thinking about after watching Game of Thrones, Ballers, and Insecure is that, that there was like a black sex scene in like each show. <laughs> <laughs> and when I was uh, still uh, working in corporate media, I was at the Washington Post, I did this story about like, you know, what about black romance? And the fact that you never really even at that point saw a lot of, you know, just two black people kissing like on TV or in film or, you know, just especially TV. <laughs> but yes, yes, indeed. Indeed, right. and then and so here you in every show you watched, they, they were real sex scenes too. They weren't just like the cutaway. <laughs> so. Well, it's HBO, you know, stuff right. gets real, you know. Right. Um, so. Well, yeah, and it's funny how things can be going in all directions at once. Culturally, there's a kind of acceptance and, and flowering and happiness and, and diversity and enjoyment of one another, and at the same time, people keep trying to divide us. So I, I look to culture in a way to, to show people, I know we're just talking about sex scenes in, in HBO shows, but to show us you know, the other, other worlds, you know? Yeah. 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 Because your kind of your romantic life, your, your life of love is part of your humanity. One of the things that I love about the young new activism and activists is they seem to accept that you are bringing your whole self to the fight, you know, and yeah, you're going to bring your culture and you're going to bring your music and you're going to bring your fashion. You're going to bring your whole 360 degree self to this political fight. That, to me, seems a much healthier way to go than to imagine that we can only do it with part of ourselves and you have to leave the rest of you at home. Well, that is the perfect note to leave our conversation this week because when we talk about media, we're talking about the aspiration we have for it, right? That it will be that 360-degree expression of all of us and more of the planet than it is right now. <laughs> So I've been speaking with Janine Jackson, host of the nationally syndicated show Counterspin. Thank you, Janine. Thank you. And that will do it for today's show as we continue to fight back against attacks on health care, on free speech, on a free press, and on our bodies here and around the globe. And as we build the world that we want to see. Thanks again to my guests, Gerald Horn, Nina Turner, and Janine Jackson. The music we played this hour was Dodge the Doo Doo by Esporn Svensson Trio, What About by Dem Atlas, 
and Nikulela Es Una Historia I Am Singing by Stevie Wonder. You can reach the show at onthegroundshow.org where you can listen to all of our shows. Please, please, please like our Facebook pages and our Twitter pages at On The Ground Show. I'm Esther Averam. Keep raising your voice. Peace. <laughs>